Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Kurita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. We always like to thank you for uh, being part of this program because uh, that's the reason why we are broadcasting to share with you. And we are looking forward also to hear from you. You can share with us. You know that you can send us a text message and be part of this program. The number where you can um, message us, it's 0482098383. Don't be shy. Send us a text message and um, come with a thought, maybe a question, or maybe just a prayer request, and we'll be very happy to address that. I would like to say hello to our panel today, and it's good to have with us Jerry. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's a very important discussion, and I'm looking forward to it. Hi, Joe. It's good to have you with us, too. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here today. Brenton, it's good to have you part of this discussion today. Thank you, Nick. This is a very, very important subject and a very well-known one. I'm sure we're excited at having the opportunity to share it. Lija, it's good to have you with us today, part of the discussion. Yes, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Ken, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. Always a privilege to be here. And I'll say hello to Denise. Denise, I haven't left you uh, the last one uh, for any other reasons, but just to thank you that uh, you took some extra time to prepare this uh, Bible study for today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's a really important study, and I'm really looking forward to going through it today. Yes, indeed, it's a very important one, and I hope that yeah, we'll be able to take in what God is instructing us through this passage in Ephesians. Would you be able, Denise, to take us through, please? Sure. Bleary-eyed, the servant stumbles out of his lodgings and sees an alarming sight. A large, well-equipped and hostile army with troops, horses and chariots everywhere. Speaking to the prophet Elisha, he stammers out the news along with his harried question, Oh, sir, what will we do now? Elijah responds, Don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs, a response that fails to register in the face of his servant. Elisha, pulling him close, prays for him. Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The prophet's prayer is answered immediately. The servant steps to the ramparts again, but this time the veil between the seen and the unseen lifts. He now sees not one army, but two. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. This story is from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. Our study covers the last part of Ephesians chapter 6 from verses 10 to verse 20, which can be summarized in Ephesians 6 verse 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In this final chapter of Ephesians, Paul prays for the believers so that they will be able to see the battle between Satan and Christ, and he helps the believers to draw hope from what is revealed to them in these verses. Jerry, would you pray for us this morning, please? Yes, certainly. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to spend some time together in the study of your word. It's an important theme, and um, 
we pray, Lord, as always, that your Holy Spirit may may guide us and teach us to um, draw the information that is in the Bible that tells us about what we're dealing with here. We have to have a clear understanding of the spiritual warfare that is being fought right now, who the parties that are involved, and how to prepare ourselves for this this battle. So please, Lord, as we spend this time together, bless the panel, bless the listeners especially, as yeah. we um, as we open your word again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul describes in these final verses of the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, a battle that is taking place in the unseen world of spiritual forces and what our part is in this battle against evil. This battle, however, affects every follower of Jesus. How does Paul encourage us to fight against evil in Ephesians 6, verse 10? What, where does he say is the focus of this battle, Joe? Can you comment on this? Certainly. I'll start by reading Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, and and there's a couple of texts, and you'll see there's a theme in each one. It says the first one says, "Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord." Paul writes in First Corinthians sixteen, thirteen, "Be on your guard, stand firm in the flesh, be courageous, be strong." And in Ephesians six ten, Paul also writes, "Finally, be strong in the Lord." and in his mighty power. From these three texts and many others that we find in scriptures, the focus is on the Lord, standing firm in the faith, waiting on the Lord, knowing God personally, gives us courage and strength to hang in there. The focus is not on our own ability and determination, but on what God is able to do, his mighty power. There is another text where Moses, some of Bible students might remember this in the Old Testament where they are the Israel's Israel people are hedged in between you know mountains whatever it is and a desert and the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is approaching with great ferocity and Moses says the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace now that's in Exodus 14, 14, easy to remember. And I think this is what it is. We must wait on the Lord and he'll come through. Thank you, Joe. That was excellent. What then is the purpose of this battle found in Ephesians 6, verse 11? And as you can see, we're just going verse by verse from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. So now we're up to verse 11. There's an important concept in this verse to do with the full armour of God and standing. Can you comment on this, please, Brendan? And there might be some other texts that you refer to as well. I'll do my best, Denise. It says, put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Other texts that uh, go along the similar themes that mention Basically, what Paul is saying is that the night is far spent, the day is at hand, and we are to put on the armour of light. Now, the armour of light is the difference between light and darkness. I believe, Denise, it's talking about the difference between spiritual light and spiritual darkness. It has a transforming power, and this is a part that I find interesting when it talks about putting on the armour. We have to have on the whole armour. Notice Paul says the whole armour. You have an example of the, in the Bible of someone who didn't have on their whole armour. In the Old Testament, you have a guy called Goliath. Now, when Goliath came to attack David, he pushed his helmet back, and that's exactly the area that he was hit with the uh, stone that David had slung from his sling, which killed him. 
I believe what's being said here is is simply the fact that we need to have on the whole armor of God in order to be able to withstand the devil. And there's a statement here I'd like to share. Those who fail to realize their constant dependence on God will be overcome by temptation. We may now suppose that our feet stand secure and that we shall never be moved. But Satan is planning to take advantage of our hereditary and cultivated traits of character and to blind our eyes to our own necessities and defects. Only through realizing our own weakness and looking steadfastly to Jesus can we walk safely. The standing, I believe, Denise, just to answer it in a couple of words, is the standing is our Christian walk day by day. I don't believe it's a one-off. I don't believe it's a once-only battle. I believe it's a constant dependence, a daily dependence, even an hourly dependence upon Christ all the way through until we see him face to face. Thank you, Brenton. Ken, I'd like to ask you two questions. Can you tell us who the enemy is in this spiritual battle from Ephesians 6 verse 12? And are our human resources able to fight against this enemy? Certainly, Denise. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Firstly, this is who we're fighting against. And then Second Corinthians 4, verse 4, tells us Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Now, I think it makes the Bible makes it very clear that Satan is the enemy in the spiritual battle and of this world. That is why it is in such a mess as he, Satan, wants to destroy all mankind. Now, we see, we need to understand that although Satan rules this world, he does have limits that God puts upon him. And as God is still in control of everything on earth and in heaven. Now, are we able to fight against this enemy? No. Human beings cannot stand against Satan unless they are born again Christians and have the Holy Spirit, which without which no one can stand or overcome him. However, all can receive the Holy Spirit as we read in Acts 2 and verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, we are uh, now mentioning that uh, we are in a spiritual battle, that we don't uh, fight, you know, blood and flesh, but uh, uh, the spirits, you know, the evil spirits. Now, as one who I serve in the army, I um, know a bit of strategy of uh, fighting. And uh, one of the important things is here to realize that we are talking about a spiritual battle, particularly now in these days when people are um, concerned about things going on in the world. And you may heard about uh, the doomsday and uh, all other things. And people are preparing themselves, making uh, all sorts of uh, uh, reinforcement, you know, even bunkers and so on and so forth. I think the invitation here is that we need really to equip ourselves spiritually, that we need to have a strong connection with God, that we need to spend time in knowing his word, praying like Jesus prayed, you know, and spend 
days and nights in prayer. I think this is the problem we facing today. Even in Christendom, people are just very busy and they try to do all sorts of things to counterattack, you know, the enemies in, in humanly ways. We are invited here to take extra special time like never before to connect with God. Thanks, Nick. In um, Ephesians 6, verse 13, Paul repeats his call to arms. Uh, Jerry, I wonder if you could have a look at this and answer the question, how is the Christian supposed to be successful in fighting against the powers of darkness? Uh, Yes, Denise, I'd I'd like to uh, read uh, from the clear word paraphrase, if I may, of verses 12 and 13. And it says there, we're not dealing with an enemy here on earth that we can see or get our hands on, but with the darkness of spiritual beings who were once in heaven and are now using their authority and power to try to rule the world. That's why you must put on the whole armor of God and stand, not giving an inch of ground. So when the fighting is over, you will be standing. So this this fight is, is on right now. It's real. Uh, you can't rely on your own strength or wisdom to beat these spiritual enemies. It's only when you are fully trusting in God, as uh, uh, Brenton, I think, and Nick have already alluded to, fully trusting in God and living a life that is in harmony with God's known and revealed will that you won't be overcome by the devil and his fallen angels. So standing your ground means that you can face these spiritual forces in the power of God's grace. There's a verse in Isaiah uh, chapter 41, verse 10, that says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In other words, we, we don't have to be afraid of the devil and his evil angels, providing we have and maintain a vital connection with God. Thanks, Jerry. Paul uses a military metaphor in this battle against evil waged by God. Linda, what is the armour that the Christian is meant to wear in this battle and how is it meant to help him be successful? Can you please read Ephesians six fourteen to 17 and comment on those verses? Yes, it says that to put on the full armour of God, to stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil ones. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We observe here that God supplied us the Christians with the finest of weaponry, his own armor, the armor of God. He has placed at our disposal his truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation, and the Holy Spirit. And with God going before us and our being equipped from head to toe uh, in the armor he has supplied, we cannot fail. And the success in battle does not depend on the superiority of its own weapons or on the army that outnumbers its foes or the, the muscles of the army or the 
the weapons, the armor, the battle skills or strategies, but the victory results from depending on the presence and the power of God. So the key is to stand firm, to trust in God's power and his provision for for the success. Great. Thank you, Lydia. Now that Jesus' followers are fully armed for battle, Paul invites them to enter the battle and do what soldiers did in ancient times. And I'm assuming this refers to the Israelite soldier, and it says to pray for success. Nick, how does prayer affect the outcome of this fight against evil outlined in Ephesians six eighteen to 20? Can you comment on that, please? Yes, uh, Dennis. Let me just read those verses first. Um, it says here, I'm reading from a New Living Translation. It says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too, Paul is asking here. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mystery or mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and for Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. I just want to mention here that I alluded a bit earlier, um, serving in the army. I understand a bit of tax tactics, you know, and how you approach the enemy because the enemy, it's also thinking the same way, <laughs> you know, how to overcome you. And usually in the army, it's used this terminology. You need to plan some sort of diversion towards the enemy that the, that the enemy will not realize that you are attacking them. You need to do something else to think, okay, they are, uh, they are not aware of what we're doing, but actually you are and you, you're planning something. That's what we need to do in this battle, in this spiritual battle. We need to be aware of the moves of the enemy, first of all. Now to do that, also we need to be confident to know the word of God, which explains what are the moves of the enemy. What I realized in this passage, which I just read here, that Apostle Paul, being himself even uh, in chains, I mean, he was not so freely to move and to do things, but he was spiritually equipped. And what he asks here, which I believe it's a very important thing, an in- intercessory prayer. He asked the other believers to support him in prayer, that he may be bold that he may be able to face the enemy who is trying to distort the image of God in front of even Jews or Gentiles. Even us as Christians, we may have many times such a a wrong picture of God and how he works in our life that we may not be able to be on the same side of the battle. And because of that, I'm emphasizing of the need of prayer. I mean, it says here to pray constantly. How you do that in every move in your life, you need to kind of 
be connected with God and ask God, what do you want me to do, God, here? Am I following my plans, my dreams, my desires, or I am following you? Even though I may have plans and dreams and desires, like every human being, but are they falling into the picture? What do you want me to do? And for that reason, I believe prayer, it's very important to allow God to speak to you and may say, hey, I can see your excitement here. I can see that you want to do this or that. But I would like you to to take notice of what I want to do. I think the, in this passage, that's where we are invited to be very uh, confident that we know the voice of the Lord. And we know that we are fighting this battle not on our own, that God is fighting the battle for us. As the Bible says, the battle belongs to the Lord. We are just in the middle of this warfare. Thank you, Nick. Joe, you'd like to comment? Yes, I believe that prayer is absolutely critical to any success in the spiritual battle. And I think the Lord was trying to teach the Israelites that. And I'll I'll go back to Exodus again. In Exodus 17, there is an instance where the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites. And Moses went onto the mountaintop and he held up the staff of God above his head and I believe interceded for the people of Israel that they may win in this battle. And whenever he lowered his arms or got tired of intercession or or prayer, as soon as he got tired, the Amalekites would start winning again. And so he had Aaron and her hold up one on each side, hold his arms up so they would remain um, upright and and intercede in in um, interceding on their behalf. Now they got tired too, and so then they propped his arms up with rocks. And so I think, um, and of course they won. The importance here is illustrated that we need to have that connection with God. We need to never get tired of praying or interceding for others and ourselves in order that um, we may win in the spiritual battle. And I think that is illustrated in Exodus 17. So anyone's got time, have a little look. And Joe, just to add on that one um, again, because let's face it, let's say it. We are in, um, in Christianism, I'm talking about, we are so much disunited, you know, I mean, and how can you win the battle against the enemy of God when you have all your own direction and approach? I'm saying this mm. one to the most, even those people they elect. Um, it's yeah. a warning, you know. We need to be connected. We need to be on to walk on the same path to understand what God is talking about. We cannot afford to say, "Oh, we have thirty-five thousand different ways," and we still uh, can um, follow God and uh, and win the battle. I think we need to really be honest and say. We need to know what's the will of God, to be united. That's why intercessory prayer is so important, as you mentioned, Joe. But also the importance of interceding for those who are interceding. We had ben, we had um, Aaron and her. They are propping up, those, you know, Moses while he's interceding. So it shows the incon- interconnectedness of of the power of prayer, that it's not just enough to pray, but that we all pray for one another as well. Um, because it is a fierce battle. It says that, um, you know, we're in, told to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he can devour. So, yeah, something to keep in mind. 
the whole theme right up until now, I believe, is based on Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're saved by grace through faith. Now, Paul is summarizing everything that he's said so far. But I just wanted to comment on uh, the praying, um, interceding incessantly, my version says, um, meaning that we're to do it constantly. I think others have touched on that. The point I wanted to touch on was regarding the armour. I think uh, Lydia touched on it earlier. Five of those pieces of armour are defensive. One is offensive. The offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit. However, a shield can also be used in offensive capabilities. What's interesting, Denise, um, regarding what we've studied so far is that all of this armour is on the front. You have no protection from the rear. If an enemy comes around behind you, they can spear you, they can shoot you with an arrow, they can fatally wound you. Paul is basically saying here, I believe that as Christians fighting in the armour of God and in the full power of his might, we are to continually advance even when it seems as though advancing is not possible. And we're going to touch on that very soon with some of our Old Testament examples. In Ephesians uh, 6 here, we we know that it's the last chapter of Ephesians and we know that it's talking about the Christian church and how they are to go about their mission. And I think that uh, resisting evil, we have this military metaphor, including the wearing of the armour. Now, Paul wants to let these people know the best way that they can be Christians in their walk with Christ. So how only are the combatants successful in this fight, Joe? Um, can we go back to Ephesians 6 verse 10 and see what Paul says there? Okay, well, um, I'll read it again. It says, that's um, Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul uses metaphors and other metaphors, and, of course, he we know we're familiar with the one of the athlete, but here he uses a military metaphor and it is just that, a metaphor or visual imagery. It does not, it does not call for Christians to take up literal armaments. Um, Jesus himself said to Pilate in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. Um, but my kingdom is not of this realm. So, the military metaphor, among other things, symbolizes the state of readiness and being prepared for an attack or an incursion. It doesn't say in case of an attack because the attack is certain. Uh, we've already discussed that. But we can be armed in the very equipment which God has prepared so that in that sense we cannot fail when engaging the enemy. We know who it is that leads us and trust in the mighty power of God. And so when we're walking with God, we can indeed be strong and claim that it is um, he who delivers us. Thanks, Joe. Most armies expect that their success in battle is due to military power, the superiority of their weapons, and that their army outnumbers the army of their enemy. However, when Israel went into battle in Old Testament times against their enemies, why were they successful against enemies much larger than their own? Brenton, can you have a look at some texts in we the Old Testament can. and comment yeah. on that? Yes, we certainly can. We're starting in Deuteronomy. We're going to read a couple of texts, one from Deuteronomy and two from Second Chronicles. Uh, in the one in Deuteronomy, we find that Moses is talking to them. He says this. He says, so it shall be 
For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle, that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. There's a number of uh, metaphors in there, a number of um, action words uh, that are really interesting, Denise. But then I go over to Second Chronicles 20, which is the story of a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. Is Israel were being invaded by the Ammonites, the Mount Seirites and the Amalekites. And it looked as though they were going to um, be up against a huge army that they had no power against. But then we find, I'll try and summarize this rather than read the whole thing. It says, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of, well, various people. And he said, listen, all of you inhabitants of Judah and of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but the Lord's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up, and then he goes on to say it again. Do not be fear or dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Then in Second Chronicles 36, I think it is, we or 32 rather, we are dealing with Sennacherib invading Judah and surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And again, Hezekiah, a good king, makes a very similar comment, similar to what you said at the start, Denise, where he basically said, don't worry about the 185,000 that are outside the walls of Jerusalem ready to attack us because those with us are more than those with them. So summarising all of this, I believe there's a very simple um, motto here God wants us to look to him and not look at the impossibilities around about us that applies in our spiritual lives too when it seems as though we're hedged in by all sorts of trouble we are to look to God we are to have a very very clear focus our focus is not Lord I can't handle all the issues I'm dealing with the focus is Lord I need your help and I'm relying totally on you. God always comes through, and he comes through in various ways. But I think this is these three verses indicate, had Israel always followed what God asked them to do, and in Second Chronicles 16 they didn't, Asa uh, went for help from another king, and a prophet came and reproved him for that and said, you didn't trust the Lord your God as you should have. So the I think the lesson for us, Denise, is simple. In whatever circumstances we find in the battle that we are going through day by day, we are to look to him. We are not to take our focus on other things or place our focus on other things. We are to come firstly to him, place the matter before him and ask him for his direction. Yes, thank you, Brenton. I think, too, uh, being human beings, we have a trouble with... Depending on our own abilities and, you know, we think we're intelligent. We think we can handle the situations that we find ourselves in. But the Bible has very different view of 
our human abilities and what God is offering us. Um, in Ephesians 6, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but uh, against supernatural enemies. Now, we are not supernatural beings, so how are we to be involved in this conflict and how can we have victory over this enemy? Ken, can you please comment on this from Ephesians 6 verse 12? Denise, this is such an important question because many people, I believe, including Christians, don't understand what they're up against because they don't read the Bibles, never mind how to overcome it. But Paul gives us the answer in Ephesians 6 verses 13 to 18 where he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Thank you, Ken. There is a term that was mentioned in verse 11, Ephesians 6 verse 11, and it's uh, in some versions it says the devil schemes, in other versions it talks about the wiles of the devil. Another name for the spiritual battle that Paul describes in Ephesians 6 is the great controversy between Christ and Satan over our allegiance. Jerry, can you speak briefly about the origin of this controversy and where our strength comes from in this battle? Yes, certainly. The great controversy, as it is sometimes referred to. Now, the word controversy, we don't hear that too often these days, but it basically comes down to um, a contention or a dispute, a falling out, altercation, if you like. Um, now, is there a record of a falling out in the Bible uh, between Christ and Satan? Yes, there is. Uh, and we find some um, very important references, uh, one of which is in Isaiah and another one is in Ezekiel. Let's go to Isaiah quickly. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 14. And if I could just read again from paraphrase, clear word paraphrase, it says there, how could this degradation happen to the great king of Babylon? So we're talking about um, or, or in the previous verses, we talked about the fall uh, of the king of Babylon. And uh, Satan is compared to the king of Babylon says there the same way it happened to Lucifer, the son of the morning who was cast out of heaven and down to earth. This same attitude caused the mighty king of Babylon to fall, who once laid low the nations. Lucifer was full of pride and said to himself, I will set my throne in the heavens. I will take charge of the stars of God. I will sit next to God on the sacred mountain in the north from which he governs the universe. I will dwell in the highest heaven, far above the clouds. I will be like the Almighty, the Most High God. So, uh, you know, we say pride comes before the fall. Well, if we look at um, what it says in Ezekiel chapter 28, I might just read a few verses from that as well. Uh, it says there, starting with verse 11, The Lord spoke to me again, saying, Son of man, record this mournful prophecy against the evil one who works behind the scenes to work through men like the Prince of Tyre. This is what the Lord says. When I created you, you were perfect, full of wisdom and beauty. You were in heaven with God and talked with him. 
like those who lived in the Garden of Eden. You were anointed head of the cherubim, the one who stood next to God and wore the highest insignias of heaven. Every precious stone was yours, rubies, diamonds, sapphires, emeralds, topaz, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, turquoise and beryl. All these were available to for you to wear, including ornaments of solid gold. I gave you all these the day I created you. You were the anointed angel, the one who stood at my right hand. You lived with me on my holy mountain and walked in the fire of God's presence. You were flawless and blameless from the day I created you until sin sprang up in you and you became evil. Your nature changed and you were filled with jealousy and violence. You spread evil to all who would listen. So I expelled you from heaven and you fell from the holy mountain of God. I had to force you to leave my presence even though you had stood next to me. You had become proud of your wisdom and beauty. Your high opinion of yourself led you into sin and you rebelled against me. You let the beauty and wisdom I gave you corrupt you. So I cast you out of heaven and you walked to the earth in shame. But you continued sinning, offering evil to all nations and trading your sinful wares with them. And so on, on and on it goes. And finally, there's a, uh, a reference to that also in the book of Revelation, the 12th chapter where it says, and I'm reading from the New King James Version now, starting in verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So there's, there is the, the context of the great controversy and um, the earth has now become the battlefield. And I often think if people don't have this knowledge, this background information that the Bible offers as to where it all started, where, where did it all go wrong, then they're grasping at straws really to find out why is there such conflict in the world? Why does it seem wherever you look there's conflict everywhere and how can you, how can you overcome it? Well, the good news is that uh, Jesus said, I have overcome sin. I have overcome the evil one. And we can, as we've said already many times, we can go forward in confidence and in the power of God's grace to meet and to overcome the evil one. Thank you, Jerry. Very important. My dear friend listening today, as Jerry just mentioned here, we need to really get access and understand God's grace. I'm inviting you to to get this offer which we have still available for you god's amazing grace you can send us a text message to zero four eight two zero nine triple eight three the code is s a b s one s a stands for south australia b s for bible study and just add there one the, again, the code is SABS1. The number 0482098383. Please get this wonderful uh, devotional, God's Amazing Grace. Thank you, Nick. So in this battle that we're involved in, in um, Ephesians, it talks about the devil's schemes or the wiles of the devil. Now, um, can you explain what this term's 
term means and how does God equip us to deal with these wiles? Okay. Well, the wiles of the devil are the tricks and traps which are tailor-made to fool us into giving up, to stop believing, to stop praying. Um, They are clever schemes used by Satan to ensnare us through either temptation, threat, intimidation, even discouragement. So anything which will lead us to take our eyes off God and either begin to trust in our own ability, which is fatal, or our own inability and feel that the battle is ours alone, and that is also fatal. The battle, as we know, is in the mind and for the mind, and and Satan is an expert at mind games. We must not listen or let lies take a foothold in our hearts because it will only be for our undoing. Paul tells us to bring every thought into captivity to Christ, and Satan is to find no sanctuary in our minds. And I refer to that uh, text comes from Second Corinthians and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How is that possible? Well, verse 18 of chapter 6 Ephesians tells us praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In Thessalonians, he tells us to pray without ceasing. So, The wiles of the devil, as I said, are the tricks and traps that fool us into giving up, to stop believing, and to stop praying. That is the key. We need to pray and stay connected to God. Thank you, Joe. You know, um, I read somewhere that Satan has a particular temptation for each one of us, and for each one of us it is very individual and very different. Um, So that's why we need to keep praying. Paul's frequent theme of cosmic war is also part of the fabric of Ephesians. Ken, um, can you read Ephesians 1, 20 to 23 and comment on uh, the outcome of this cosmic battle between good and evil and what gives us hope? Well, Denise, this battle, firstly, is not ours. It is Christ's. Not only that, but Christ through God is the victor in all battles, not only on this earth but throughout the universe as we read in Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 23, where it says, which he, meaning God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above the old principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. So knowing this, we can be assured that we have the victory because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Thank you, Ken. I'd like to open the next question up to the panel. Um, What are some ways that you personally have experienced this cosmic conflict or the great controversy and the victory that we can claim in Jesus? Would would anyone on the panel like to comment on this? Lydia? I experienced this um, spiritual battle in my mind. I had a, a car accident I had, uh, I heard a voice in my, in my head to hit the line of the cars that are coming in front of me. And I said in my mind, no, I'm not going to. And the voice said again, now hit the cars that are parked on the right hand side of the road. And I said, no. And I just kept strong on, on the steering wheel. And, uh, just immediately I felt a push from the back of my car, like in movies. And 
I was pushed like with a very high speed into the stubby pole. So that was, um, uh, a spiritual battle in my, in my mind, which the, the evil forces, uh, tried to kill me. So that was a spiritual battle in my experience. Thank you, Lydia. Brendan, you'd like to say something? Yes, just, um, quickly, uh, Denise. Part of my responsibility as a minister, I found, and one I found particularly interesting is doing Bible studies with people. I can get a 100% guarantee based on my personal experience in studying with people that whenever they see the truth of the Bible, that the armor of light is starting to break through the, uh, the darkness. You can guarantee that the devil will have something ready to put this person off from making a decision to follow Jesus. It's, it's a hundred percent guaranteed. It never fails. And uh, when I have been studying with people for baptism, I have usually informed them that when they're baptized, the devil will hit them twice as hard as he did before. And I've had people say to me afterwards that what you said is exactly what happened. We need this constant power, Denise, all the time. And to see it play out in front of you when you're sitting and sharing the word of God with somebody and you can see they're accepting it and then the next day, their family, their friends, or somebody gets into them and tries to distract them. You can guarantee that's the work of the devil. So that's, that's a very good personal example for me of uh, how this conflict goes on every day. In my experience, it is really the small battles which set the battleground for the bigger battles. We often concede these small territories and think nothing of it. We just dismiss it as, oh, that's okay, it's only once or whatever it is. Um, so we often concede these small territories, think nothing of it, but we don't realise the importance of these small skirmishes in leading and giving us strength for the bigger ones ahead. And I think this is where um, the devil fools us into thinking that, um, oh, this doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. But the, what I, the temptations that I give in to today mould me either to be a better, a stronger person for tomorrow or weaken me so that I am less able to withstand any kind of temptation or that particular kind of temptation for the future. So I just encourage us all to be mindful of the, the little skirmishes and um, not to give, not to concede territory, any territory, because you know where they say you give them an inch and they take a mile. And so let us beware. Very true. Ken, you wanted to comment and then Nick. Yeah, I just wanted to go back to what Brendan said a moment ago. So, so true. Uh, many years ago when I, uh, being an atheist, started to turn to the Lord, I had so much go wrong in my life. It was it was like going from black to white or white to black. You know, I was going along, everything was pretty good. But as soon as I started making uh, inroads into Jesus, I had things happen that you just think, well, where, where the devil did this come from? But obviously, you know where it does come from. And it's so important if you are talking to new people that are coming to the Lord to, to I believe, advise them of this because it can be easily put off when these things come against them. And I'm just thinking of, uh, uh, you know, Jesus' experience in the wilderness when uh, he was tempted by the enemy, by the devil. I, I believe 
one of our biggest challenges could be when we have we start to have some doubts about even the things we you know practice or do or believe the enemy will attack in those areas we need to be strong we need to know what the word says and not to base our battle on the feelings or i feel this way or i think is this way just base yourself on the word of god and i believe you'll be in the right uh, hands thank you panel members for your uh, discussion on that and your personal views that's great i just like to talk about uh, the verb to stand that paul uses in ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20 nick can you explain to us what it means to stand well then is uh, again this is the whole um, bible study for today a call to stand we are invited you know to stand and in ephesians we have been given so much information how to stand how to equip ourselves to put the armor of god um and all those things i mean if i will um, look into if I go back again in Ephesians uh, chapter 6 and uh, verse 11 simply just says, put all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We talked about this, that he's very busy with his strategies. He's not uh, um resting and in holiday you know he will like to bring before us everything possible to challenge us and then in uh, verse uh, 13 uh, says therefore put on every piece of god's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil and we live in those times when you can see around just evil things, like in the times of Noah, like in the times of, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and all those things, uh, we mention this. And it's the invitation here in verse 14, the same chapter, chapter 6 in Ephesians says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. When I read that passage, it came in my mind. You know, when we mention truth, is truth proclaimed from the pulpit today in churches around the world? You know, one strong man of God, Martin Luther, he said these words, here I stand. I cannot recount. I mean, he was invited to recount from the truth he learned. But he said, I can't do otherwise. Here I stand. Our stand needs to be based on truth. Not on whatever we think is right or in the context of the culture or whatever and whatever. All those things which we hear these days on, even from the pulpit. And on media or everywhere else, you know what? Just believe in yourself. Just do what you think is right. You are the one to make your own destiny and so on and so forth. My dear friend, listening today, again, we are invited to allow 
the word of God, which is the sword. Brenton mentioned a bit earlier, is the only weapon which we have at hand to really go offensive against all the deceiveness of the enemy. May God help us to stand for the truth in all aspects and be bold, like Paul said, uh, to speak it, to say it, to uh, live it in our life every day. Jerry, you wanted to add something? Just quickly, Denise, um, the reality of life is that uh, as we go along as Christians, uh, we do get clobbered sometimes. We take a few hits, but we should not be overwhelmed by them, uh, temporarily perhaps. But the wonderful thing is that, uh, you know, the Lord is always there to lift us up again and to empower us, to strengthen us again. And that's the reality of life. It's, it's, it's tough. It's a warfare. And as we've, you know, a number of people have always uh, already pointed out, the devil is after us. That's the reality. The devil is after us. He wants us to go down with him. But the Lord also wants us and he's paid the ultimate price. He's paid for our salvation and he's taken it upon himself to look after us and to, uh, and to be there with us, to, to stand with us in our struggle, in our battle. So, uh, as Jesus would say, be of good cheer. Thank you, Jerry. Lydia, um, I'd like you to comment on how God gives us hope so that we can feel confident and so that we can know that we, with him by our side, we cannot fail. Can you talk about that for us? Yes, Paul is saying in uh, verse 12, so chapter 6, verse 12, it says again that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. realms. So um Paul is mentioning that we do not just confront human enemies, but spiritual hosts of hosts of wickedness. So they are led by the willy general, the devil. But he affirms that all evil and supernatural powers are subjugated to Christ. So he supplied us. He is present in our battles with us. And... Um, he, as he promised here, that we will, will have the whole armor of God to resist. And I would like to mention the verse in, in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 8. It says, the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So, all the the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places will be destroyed by the Jesus splendor and his power when he comes back. Thank you, Lydia. Well, we've seen that the book of Ephesians and we also know that the book of Revelation both describe last day events in terms of battle symbolism. In both depictions, the people of God are under attack by their enemy, Satan, who is in heavenly places and is active and powerful in the present age. Both scenarios point to the final battle when the enemy will be conquered completely 
and God will usher in his eternal kingdom. Now, I'd like to leave you with um, one last practical quote, and it says this. If we will concentrate whatever willpower we have in the direction of knowing Jesus personally and allowing him to live his life within, then we will succeed. Our self-discipline we use in choosing a daily personal relationship with God then we must leave our battles against our sins, our problems, to him. Here is one of the hardest ideas for human beings to accept, probably because of our natural pride and self-sufficiency. But that's what we need to do to be successful. So I I want to um, recognise that Jesus is the supreme spiritual power in this battle and he offers so generously to each one of us the power to resist temptation, to resist the devil and to be confident in victory. Ken, could you please finish our study today with prayer? Certainly, Denise. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that gives us the assurance the battle for our souls belongs to Jesus. We are more than victors as long as we follow your word and keep your commandments, as long as we have a relationship with Jesus and put him first in our lives. We have nothing to fear. We know the outcome of this great battle already, as you have told us all things in your word. Lord God, we thank you and pray for all those searching, that they may come to know and trust you as we do. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for your participation uh, today. A very important study, which will continue in the next one, which will, we are going to uh, conclude, to bring it together. And um, my dear friend, we are inviting you to join next time because we are going to talk about uh, waging peace. And we are going to elaborate on what that means, the church, to be uh, unified, to be united, you know, as an army of God. We'll talk a bit more about uh, uh, the belt and the breastplate uh, and shoes and shields, all those things, the armor of God. Please join us again next time. Uh, and um, I'm reminding you that you can be part of this program by sending us a text message uh, with your thoughts. The number is 0482098383. On the same number, Please claim our free offer. It's a devotional, God's Amazing Grace. Just send us uh, a text message with the code SABS1. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible Study 1. May God richly bless you and have a wonderful, safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus.